Brandy Ellen Wells was a 23-year-old single woman living in Brownsboro, Texas. She was eager to start back to school and begin her new job at Walmart. On the night of Wednesday, August 2, 2006, she went to the Graham Central Station Country Bar in Longview, Texas, 45 minutes away despite her car being low on gas. Just after midnight, she left the club alone. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. watch today. I don't know you, but I can almost guarantee it. And you probably didn't even notice. If you drove to work or went to McDonald's or went to the ATM, you were watched by an electronic eye that misses nothing. It never takes time off. It never gets tired. It never takes bathroom breaks. As long as the electricity is on, it's on the job. Security cameras, traffic cameras, Cameras used for the simple task of collecting data about crowd behavior. They're everywhere. Just look around. And there's no doubt they've played a huge role in crime prevention and crime solving since they've become part of our culture in the last 30 to 40 years. However, it's not like we're living in an Orwellian 1984 world either. Despite all this coverage by cameras today, crimes still happen. In fact, given the amount of cameras out there, you'd think no one would ever think about committing a crime. But felonies happen every day. YouTube is riddled with closed-captioned TV recordings of shootouts, carjackings, assaults, and terrorist attacks. And here, just on Unfound, we've had two cases where cameras played a role in the investigation of the crime. And still those disappearances, Suzanne Lyles and James Walker's, are still unsolved. Well, here on Unfound, we now have case number three that involves video camera evidence. The disappearance of Brandy Wells, seen on a camera at the Grand Central Station. We see her arriving, having a good time, then leaving. Then poof, she was gone. Is there something on that videotape of her night that can still help in the investigation? I believe there is. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Good's site, charlieproject.org. Brandy Wells was last seen in Longview, Texas on August 3, 2006. She arrived alone at Graham Central Station at 10.30 p.m. She was unfamiliar with the area and had to call the club a couple times on her way to ask for directions. By the time she got there, her Grand Prix was low on gas and she asked several patrons for help in the matter. No one is sure whether any of these people helped Brandy or not. She left alone after midnight. There are no indications she was drunk at the time of her departure. She was never seen again. Five days later, her car, a 2000 Pontiac Grand Prix with a license plate number J50ZTD, was found sitting alongside I-20 westbound at Highway 31 just outside of Longview. Inside it, in the back seat, were her purse and wallet. And in the glove compartment, her ex-boyfriend's cell phone was found. However, her own cell phone was missing. There were no signs of a struggle, but the driver's seat was pushed back to the point that Brandy, approximately five feet in height, couldn't have reached the pedals. And there was a red plastic gas can in the back seat 
that her family didn't believe belonged to Brandy. Upon getting Brandy's cell phone records, police discovered that her phone lay dormant for a week after the disappearance, but then suddenly started making calls again. Law enforcement tracked the phone to three people, including one who failed a polygraph test when asked exactly how he found Brandy's phone. All three claimed to not know Brandy. There have been no named suspects in Brandy's case, and her disappearance remains unsolved. This episode's interview is with Brandy's mother, Ellen Tant. Unfound news. I've picked a logo. Well, technically, it's still being tweaked, but I can assure you in the next couple weeks you'll be seeing it. It's not fancy. It's not whiz-bang. It's nice and simple and to the point, exactly like the program it represents. Not sure what I'll be doing with it. I know other podcasts sell shirts and hats and other stuff with their logo on it. I'm not sure I want to go that direction. We'll just have to see. Last week's episode concerning the disappearance of Shannon Turner broke all records Unfound has ever had. Easily. Thanks to all of you for the downloads, plays, and comments. Most importantly, I hope all the attention you've given the episode leads to new leads in Shannon's disappearance. And remember, David Mays is now a free man. And finally... Madeira Beach Library, May 9th, 6 p.m. I'll be conducting the first gathering of Pinellas County residents who want to take a shot at solving the unsolved disappearances in this area. There are many of them. In fact, I think a couple months ago I posted a picture of the stack of the Unfound Podcast discussion group. I have no idea how this is going to go. Nobody may show up. But I won't be discouraged. Given the success of what some of you have done so far upon hearing cases on Unfound, I know there are motivated people everywhere. I'm prepared to give it time for it to all come together. No matter what happens, I'll let you know what occurs at that meetup. Where you can find Unfound on Twitter, Unfound Podcast. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. On Instagram, at unfoundpodcast. On Facebook, the Unfound Podcast discussion group, we have almost 300 members there now. You can find many of the guests on the program there. Please talk to them and give them your support. Subscribe to Unfound at Podomatic and iTunes, and please keep those five-star reviews coming. And please mention Unfound at all the popular places like WebSleuths, Reddit, podcasts we listen to, and all other true crime websites and forums. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound Ellen Tant the mother of Brandy Wells. Ellen, welcome to Unfound. Thank you so much for having me, and, and God bless you for caring enough about those who don't have a voice. Thank you. I appreciate that, Ellen. Please tell the listeners a little bit about your daughter, Brandy. What are some memories that come to you as you think about her these days? Well, unfortunately, right now at this time, being almost 11 years gone, it's the memories that I don't have of her that are the most heart-wrenching. Um, thinking of things that we could have been doing, children she could have been having, careers she could have been participating in. But the, the memories that I do have of her are her childhood, you know, the sweet moments, the, the aha moments and the good jobs and way to go. Um, she was a very vibrant 
loving child, she she just looked at the world in, in a way that everything was glorious. Um, she could be troublesome sometimes. She did have her little stubborn streak, um, and and I do remember some of those. Um, but the more you you miss having the now moments, the less bad that those moments back then seem. She wanted to follow in my mother's footsteps and become a kindergarten first grade teacher. She loved young children. Uh, She was a mentor at high school in a reading program. Um, She went to church all the time. Brandy was just an all around, you know, child that you would hope that you could raise to grow up and, and have a very bright future. And unfortunately, at this point, Brandy's future, at least for the last 11 years, has not looked as bright as she deserves. What were some of her interests? Uh, was she into music or what were some of her hobbies? She loved the music. She um, started as a flautist in band in the sixth grade. She was afraid that she wasn't going to be able to play it because at the time she had braces. Um, so she struggled with that a little bit, but she proved that, yes, people with braces can also be flouted. She was also in the choir. She loved to sing. She sang at church all the time, um, was in the choir at high school. Uh, uh, she loved to read. Like I said, she was a mentor at the high school uh, for younger children uh, reading program. Um, she was in the youth activities at the church. She even also liked to write her own music. She was, uh, when she lived in San Antonio before she moved back to Tyler, she wanted to, uh, write music and see what she could do with that. But, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, that didn't go so well. So she came on back home. Um, she, I, I, did not get to be around her like the last four years uh, before she disappeared because she was married and off or, you know, living down in San Antonio, which is such a far away away from me um, that I, I'm not really sure what all she was into, uh, you know, in her adult life, but uh, she was moving back home and that was a chance for us to get close again. And mm-hmm. that night she walked out the door was the last time we had that opportunity. You mentioned that she was married. Uh, she, when she disappeared, she was only 23. So she must have been very young when she got married. If just maybe just for a few moments, you could maybe tell the listeners a little bit about that marriage. Uh, were you surprised that she got married at such a young age? I mean, how do you look out, uh, back on well, that now? No, because I was even younger than that when I got married and had them. So, um, okay. you know, it, these kids are getting younger and younger nowadays. Of course, as a, as a parent, you want them to hold off until after they finish college, after they get their career established, you know, so that they can stand on their own two feet. Their their, their marriage and partnership is going to be all about the, the people instead of the finances. I need somebody to help me pay the bills, this, that, and the other, that a lot of young kids are finding that that's why they're in a relationship is for that double paycheck and not really for, you know, I can take care of myself. Uh, you know, I want to find somebody that, that can do that too. And, and together we can take care of each other, you know, instead of mm-hmm. one having to, to depend on the other for, for sure. and support. Um, but uh, she had had two years of college under her belt. So I was proud of her for that. 
and after she got married, she still planned on continuing her schooling. Um, of course, finding out as a young married uh, couple, you don't really start out with anything, so it is a very financially burdensome uh, process to go through, and she had to quit school to get a full-time job to help bring finances into the home. So uh, that's when the marriage went downhill. I have, you know, uh, there were things in their past. I don't know exactly how things came to a head, but she ended up leaving him uh, and and got with this other guy down in San Antonio. And then he went into the military and went over to Germany and broke up with Brandy. And that's why she decided to come home. But their marriage, it was such a short time, maybe two years or so. Uh, they had no children. Um, a part of that time, they lived up in Dallas. So, like I said, after she graduated from high school, Brandy was, you know, the independent child. I would talk to her on the phone. I'd go pick her up every weekend when she was in college because she did not have a vehicle, But and I'd bring her home, and we'd spend time that way. But, you know, she was out doing her own thing. She's not going to call mom, uh, you know, all the, you know, and, and talk to her like she did when she was in high school or junior with home. Uh, let's move up to the, the month or two before she disappeared. She was going to be going back to school, and I guess she was going to be getting a new job. What can you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Well, um, when she graduated from high school, she was in the band, like I said, but she was in the, the flag corps. And so she uh, tried out, I remember taking her up to Trinity Valley Community College for tryouts for the Flag Corps, and was so proud of her. She she did a fantastic job. She practiced her foot off beforehand um, and made the team, so she got a scholarship, um, which was wonderful because there was no way I could have afforded uh, to be able to send her to college. So, you know, that's another independent thing that Brandy did. She got to college on her own merit. So proud of her. Um, and uh, so when she decided to move back home and uh, continue with her teaching career, she wanted to get her life back on track. She was through with men. You know, it was about her this time. Uh, so she contacted the professor, uh, the um, band director, and she received another scholarship to come back to finish up her studies. She was waiting for band camp to start, which starts like a week or so before college opens, but she would have still been able to move into the dorms at that time. She had also gotten a job at Walmart there in Athens, Texas, where she had worked before when she was there the first time. So, you know, it was kind of like a whole 360. She finally came home and, she, you know, she's picking up all her life where she left off. So she was really lining things up for... The next semester, you know, or the next months into the next year with year with uh, school and with her work. I mean, she was really getting Correct. getting really serious yeah. about this stuff. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. So we come to the night that she disappeared. Uh, she came to your house. What do you remember about her coming there and what she was wearing? She wanted you to check how she looked. What can you tell us about the those last minutes and hours okay See? it was uh about eight o'clock on wednesday night august the 6th when she walked through the door had no idea she was in town coming to see me or anything 
she walked through the door and she said, oh, Mom, I've come to spend a couple of, you know, a day with you or some time with you, I think is what she said. I've, I've come to spend some time with you. Um, I think she leaned over, hugged me, kissed me, you know, may have told me about her day. I don't really exactly remember those words that we spoke when she first got there. I was just kind of surprised to see her. Um, and she went down the hallway to her sister's bedroom. And then a little while later, she came out, changed into different clothing. And she said, well, I'm going to go to the club uh, with some friends. And she asked, do you have any gas money? And I said, sorry, honey, I am, uh, I don't get paid till tomorrow, so I don't have any money. She said, well, can I borrow your car? I said, maybe I've got enough gas to get me to work to the uh, bank to cash my check and then to the gas station to get gas. So I'm sorry, I, you know. She said, well, what about Dad? Does he have any money? I said, honey, he does not get paid until Friday. She said, okay. Well, she uh, walked out the door. Well, first she said, well, how do I look? She showed me the outfit that she had on. And it's kind of ironic because when she was growing up, she would change uh, constantly her, her clothes all the time throughout the day. And I used to gripe at her that, Brandy, I will not know what to tell the police you were wearing if you were to ever disappear. So it's funny that she showed off her outfit that night before she walked out the door. And I said, oh, you look very cute, you know. Um, She walked out the door, and I said, now, Brandy, don't be driving all over town because you don't have a lot of gas. Okay, Mom. I said, be careful. And, you know, love you. But I walked out the door. And that is the last. So she was wearing... So she was wearing her sister's clothes. She came to your house and went no, down no, to her no, sister's. No. Oh, her okay. okay. Oh, so no, no, no. Okay. they were her own okay. clothes. She just, like I said, she changed constantly when she was a child. So okay. I'm sure she still did now. But no, these were her own clothes that she brought. Okay. I don't know if she had brought them with the intentions of going to the club, but maybe that was was why she brought those clothes. All right. Now, what? Where did you think that she was going? She never explicitly, I, I think, never said anything. But where did you think? she was going that night and and what friends did you think that she was going to be meeting up with being that she said i'm going out with friends what did you think okay i have no idea about her friends you know she might still know some kids from from chapel hill that still live here in tyler where she went to high school Mm. um but i don't know of who she spoke that she was going to go see friends Mm. she just said i want to go see friends if i'd asked her who she would have thrown out first names and i wouldn't have known who they were anyway so you know, I didn't even bother to ask. She's 23 years old. You know, she would have said, Mom, I'm going with Christy. You know, then then it's more than likely I would have known that friend. But she didn't name any names, and I didn't ask any further information. Um, but I thought that uh, she was going to a club here in Tyler, Texas, which she has been to many times before. It was just down the road from my house. So, you know, I wasn't that concerned about her going out. Um, It was not until I uh, called the police two days later to report her missing uh, that I found out that she was actually in the club in Longview and not this one here in Tyler. All right. We're going to get to that in a second. But just so the listeners know, would you consider Brandy to be a big drinker or anything like that? What was her social style? Brandy's not a real partier. I mean, she liked to socialize, yes. She was a talker, yes. But as far as a drinker, you know, she would drink, but she's not the type that, you know, like some of these girls, unfortunately, feel like they've got to go out and drink and stay up with the big boys and, 
you know, uh, uh, get to the point where they just can't handle themselves anymore and somebody can take advantage of them. No, that was not Brandy. Uh, as a matter of fact, the police that, that hunted down some people that had been at the club that night uh, and the bartenders all said that, no, she was not drinking that night. Uh, Number okay. one, she didn't have any money. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Brandy would be smart enough not to accept a drink from a guy that just came up here. Here, here, you know, you want this drink? Type. No, she just, she did not do drugs. Um, she okay. wasn't wild, never has been. That's just not Brandy. When did you first become worried? When did you first realize that possibly something had happened that August uh, or that Wednesday night it would have been? When when did you suddenly say, uh-oh, what what do you remember about that? Where where did you think it happened okay. over those couple days where you didn't hear from her? The next day when I woke up and got ready for work, her makeup bag was still sitting on my coffee table. She was not on the couch. I was in a two-bedroom at the time, and, you know, her sister only has a small uh, twin bed, and there was really no room uh, to put a cot or anything. So Brandy slept on, would have slept on the couch. She was not on the couch, so I figured, okay, maybe she did have a little bit too much to drink and went to a home with with one of the friends that she went with. You know, good girl. She didn't try, try and drive home in, in a bad condition or anything. Um, that afternoon when I came home from work, her makeup bag was still sitting there, and I got a call from the roommate that she was living with in Brownsboro at the time, um, and said that he had not heard from her and that she was, you know, going to donate the plasma and that she was supposed to be on back home. And I said, well, I have not heard from her. You know, she's not here. So we started calling her cell phone and it kept going to voicemail. I mean, right off the bat, it went to voicemail. And uh, a friend of mine and me were calling her cell phone so much that, you know, it finally was able, unable to take any more messages. Um, it was the very next morning. I waited through till Thursday night thinking, you know, maybe she's just still at a friend's and she'll come on in. You know, she she wasn't working. She didn't have school yet. So it's not like she had a set schedule. So she could have changed her plan. Uh, by Friday evening or, yeah, after I got home from work that Friday, still had not heard from her. Uh, still getting voicemails, uh, uh, going to the voicemail saying we can't take any more messages. Um, that's when I got concerned and called the police. What, what happened from there? How did you, what did they discover? How did you eventually find out that she hadn't gone to that club right there where you live, but she had gone to Longview? Give the listeners the steps from there, uh, of what happened. Okay. Okay. I do have to make one correction. It was not Friday evening when I called the police. I mm. did not go to work that morning. I called in and said, my daughter has not come home yet, and I, I've got to call the police. So it was that morning, Friday morning is when I called the police. Okay, the police very good. showed up on my door. The Tyler police showed up on my door. And um, I was speaking with him about Brandy, uh, giving him some information and my daughter, Georgia, walked out of her bedroom and came up behind me. And as she's hearing me telling the police about, you know, uh, Brandy going to the club, Georgia told me, no matter she went to the club in Longview, Graham Central Station. That's the first time I've ever even heard of that club. Georgia had been there before, 
with some friends, and some of Brandy's friends had been telling her, you know, they they've been there before. So Brandy just kind of wanted to check it out. And Georgia was supposed to go with her that night, but Georgia was not feeling well, so she was already in bed, so she didn't go. That's why Brandy ended up going alone, and that may have been why she told me that she was going with friends mm. so that I wouldn't worry so much and, and kind of left out where she was going so that I wouldn't argue with her, you know. Probably, um, yeah. But that is when we learned that she had actually gone to Longview instead, and the police from here in Tyler said, you have to contact the Longview police, and then that's when I turned around and contacted the Longview police. I uh, just gave them the basic, basic information, um, <clears throat> really not much to go on, you know, just that she left. And, and those those following days, of course, the police were doing their investigation. They went to the club, talked to the people, the bartenders, you know. We started getting posters out, uh, uh, out and around the area. Um, started uh, working on Facebook and and trying to get her story out and her picture and her photo. You know, at this point, um, we knew nothing about what happened to her. Mm-hmm. Um, that following Tuesday, and her I car was missing. Her car was missing at the same time. It's not like her car was found. She well, and her car, her car was, was not missing in the parking lot. No, the car was not in the parking lot at the club. Okay, it was not there. So um, it was not until that following Tuesday that the police found a car on I-20 that had an orange uh, tow ticket on it, a violation, you know, parking violation or whatever you call, um, that, you know, you must remove this car within so many days or it will be towed. Um, It had been put on there the very next morning. That Thursday morning, that Thursday morning uh, was when that car was, was posted. So we know that that car was on the side of the road at, from that point on. And so it was parked on the side of the road, and we will get back to the car uh, in a second. Um, but they went to the club. Did they try to track down anybody um, at the club that was had been there that previous Wednesday night? And oh, yeah. there's, of course, the, the security tape. And tell the listeners all about what went on with them tracking down people at the club and also – the security tape issue, and then we'll get back to the car. Okay. Well, this has got to be one of the most frustrating points of the investigation. Um, And at this point, it had only been a week long, uh, but the police uh, uh, contacted me that following Wednesday, after they found the car Tuesday, that next Wednesday, they called and said that the club had sent the, te- the security tape over and that they found Brandy on there, but they needed somebody from the family to come up and positively ID her. I got the phone call while I was in the emergency room with my husband at the time that had just suffered heat stroke. So I was unable to go, but my daughter, my daughter-in-law, and my best friend went to Longview to view the videotape. When my daughter saw the video, she blurted the first thing out of her mouth was, that can't be Brandy, her boobs are too big, meaning Brandy's chest was not as as big as this girl. Mm -hmm. Um, But the police said, well, this is, you know, we've got the time that she entered the club. This is the time, you know, she's blonde hair, she's petite. This has got to be who y'all are talking about. 
they said that, well, we're not really sure. You can't see any facial features. You only really see the top of people's heads from the camera angle. And so my best friend said, you know, and the police were putting pressure on them from what I understand from them, that they said, you know, we've got to get it on the 6 o'clock news. We've got to run with it. You know, we've got to get it over there, you know, so we can get this out in the news. So Michelle made the comment that it might be her. Oh. Um, and then they they posted on, on uh, the news that night and were watching it. And you see the girl walk up to the door, and there's two guys with her. So, of course, the police are very interested in these two guys that she's talking with. I see the tape for the first time. And I said, those are not the clothes Brandy left home with. What happened to her clothes that she was wearing? And the police told me, well, maybe she changed clothes at a friend's house. No, I'm sorry. At first, I said, were the, the clothes that she left the house in in the car? Uh, no, ma'am, there were no clothes. So then where are the clothes that she was wearing? They said, well, maybe she changed at a friend's house. I said, then why hadn't a friend called up and said, hey, she changed. Here are those clothes. You know, I, I'd been given this description out, and the girl in that video had nowhere near the clothes on that Brandy had on that night. So... It should it also be it so should also be noted that I've seen the videotape, and... Um, the girl doesn't really look like Brandy either. Uh, and I didn't, of course, I never met Brandy, never saw her in person. I would have known that it wasn't her, I think, but the police were using another piece of information to kind of link this up. There was right. a, some sort of yeah. card scanning that's that was, was going on. To, yeah, that's yeah. what I was supposed to get into. Um, they were basing, and if they swear that that was Brandy, why did they not look at the inside tape above the cash register where you can really see that person's face? After I tell them I don't think that's her because those aren't the clothes she was wearing, um, you know, why didn't they look at that other piece of tape too? But they went on the assumption that since Brandy's license was swiped at a certain specific time, that the timestamp on the video, this is the girl that shows up at that same timestamp, so it's got to be Brandy. That's the assumption that they were working on. Yeah. But that wasn't true. You found out that there was an error no. there. What was the error? Correct. Well, it, it, we're in six weeks into the investigation now, and my sister, um, who's still living in San Antonio at this time, uh, contacted the club and asked if they would be so gracious as to send a copy of the videotape that night. And they did, which I, I really do applaud Grand Central Station for taking that kind of interest. I, I really do appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> so my sister got it, and her husband sat down and watched the video. I don't know exactly what time he started watching, but he sat through and watched a good bit of that video and found Brandy walking through the door in the exact same clothes that I told the police that she was wearing 10 minutes prior to the time on that video stamp of the other girl. Hmm. So the video stamp and the license swipe were 10 minutes off. There was a 10-minute differentiation between the two. And so once those synced up, everything then made a little bit more sense. Well, I mean, we were still left with the same nothing that we had right. looking at the wrong video, but um, maybe if attentions weren't on that wrong video for so long, maybe this guy in the hat would have been looked at 
singer. All right, we're gonna we're gonna get into the guy in the hat uh, very quickly. But so you're talking about okay. this? You didn't find actually find Brandy on that video specifically until six weeks after she disappeared. It was about six weeks, yeah, before we found oh, her my. wearing the exact same clothes that I said walking through the door ten minutes earlier. And so, in all that time, someone sitting down watching that video, and and first, you know, if if I'm insisting that those are not the clothes, why don't you sit down and, and look through and see if there's somebody else that you know matching the description might have more clothes that look like hers? Yeah. So in they, that time. The news. Yeah. I apologize. So in that time, the police were doing this investigation. Like you said, they were trying to find the two guys that were talking to this other girl. So there mm -hmm. was like six weeks of wasted time, essentially, unfortunately. Basically, yes. Okay. Now, the police, though, did were doing some other investigation. They were trying to find some people who had been at the club la that night. What They did track down some of these people, at least a few of them. What did those people say? Uh, they would just, uh, from what the police told me, they just said that, uh, yes, they did see Brandy. Uh, she was going around asking if people had uh, gas, you know, a couple of bucks for gas. Um, on the way to the club, Brandy had to call twice for directions to the club. That was another thing the police found through the investigation. Mm. So she may have gotten lost and ran out more gas than she thought she was going to. So she may have been asking, to, you know, she was asking people if they had a couple of bucks that she could borrow for gas. And as far as I know, nobody gave her any money. And to your knowledge, did any of these people say, well, she was with some guy that were doing this? Was she was in, with another girl? Did all no. these people say that she at was just by point, herself? No, at this point, as far as I know, she was up there by herself. All right, so we, she uh, got a little lost. She might have used more gas than she thought getting to Longview, Texas, and she was a little worried about maybe being able to get to a gas station, even from the club, if the car was really, really low on gas. And right. um, uh, was there a cover charge to get into this club, or was it just basically show you your know, ID? I don't know. I really in? don't know. You okay. know, it was Wednesday night. It might be ladies' night. I don't, I, sure. that, that might be what it was with ladies night on a Wednesday. That makes sense to me because usually that's when here in East Texas, they usually have ladies night. Let's talk about the car. The police found the car five days after she disappeared. They figured out that it had been there basically since the Thursday before, which would have been the morning after Brandy was last seen on the video. What can you right. tell the listeners about the car? What did they find and what was peculiar about it? Okay, um, from what I understand, as soon as they realized that it was Brandy, they contacted me. Of course, I went into a, a tizzy, you know, did you find her? There's no, no body in the trunk. There's no blood in the car or anything, thank God. Um, they did say that they got the dogs out, and there was no hit on Brandy at this time. Um, her purse was in the car. There was a cell phone in the car. Um, there was a gas can in the back, back behind this, uh, front seat. Um, and they did, uh, get a partial thumbprint off of the driver's side window. Now it, they ran it through and, and did not come up with a hit. You know, it could have been Brandy's. It could have been mine. It could have been, you know, the guy that she, uh, roommate with because he did fill up her car with gas from time to time. 
and he is the one that told me that it did not uh, sound right that Brandy had a gas can, um, and neither did I. Mm. Uh, I didn't think she would have one either. Um, but the most curious thing about how we found the car was that the police had taken videos of the position of the driver's seat um, when they first found the car. Now, granted, it had been sitting on the side of the road for, you know, six to five, six days, um, but the seat was pulled back too far um, for Brandy to have been driving. Um, the, the position of seat in the photograph, we, we, we made sure that that seat was in that same position. I'm taller than Brandy. I got behind the seat, and I could not reach the pedals. Uh, my husband at the time uh, was six foot one, and he fit behind it just fine. There was, you know, he had no problem getting in there to drive it. And there was no um, messing with the, the column like they, somebody may have seen it on the side of the road and moved the seat back to jump in and try and hotwire it. You know, there was no, no tampering evidence of any kind to the vehicle. So the seat in that position is the most bizarre thing to me. But the police also focused in on it. I don't know how this really relates to or, or is significant. I, I just don't see the correlation. But the way her car was pulled in onto the side of the road, um, it wasn't exactly parallel. It was, you know, kind of uh, at an angle. And they found that awful suspicious, too. Yeah, it looked like somebody possibly could have actually jumped out of the car as the car might have been drifting to a stop. It was narrowed kind of like down into the weeds uh, a little bit, if so, right. as if somebody left the car in a, in a very fast fashion. Uh, what was, As far as what was found in the car, her purse was found in the car. Was her ID there? Did she have credit cards? Was yes. there anything missing no. from her purse? No, Brady had no no credit cards. And if she had gas money, you know, uh, if she had money in the purse, I mean, there was no money. Mm -hmm. uh, but if she's asking people for money, it means she didn't have any anyway, but she had no credit cards. Uh, yes, her ID was still there. And like I said, a cell phone, her cell phone uh, was found. Now, the purse was found in the backseat, correct? Along with her correct. wallet was correct. out somehow. Right. Was, the, was the phone in the backseat as well or no. was it in the glove compartment? I believe, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was either in that uh, console right down there by the gear shift or mm -hmm. on the floorboard. One of the two. It was not in the glove box, I don't believe. I think it was either on the floorboard or in that little console that's, you know, right up underneath your dashboard. Okay, and we're going to talk about the cell phone uh, controversy and problem as well is, is here in a second. But this gas can, it was not in the trunk. It was in the back seat sitting on the floor. Correct. Right. And right. I've seen a couple pictures of it just um, okay. recently. Did it look and, brand new? Uh, it looked to me like it was somewhat dusty. Is that how you remember it? It looked like it might yeah, have been sitting in somebody's about, garage for a while. I don't know about dusty. I just remember the bright colors. It was not hmm. faded like you see a lot of these old gas cans. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I remember about it, but... I only saw it very briefly, and the police didn't put any kind of emphasis on it, but other than asking, do you think that this belonged to Brandy? And, of course, I told them, no, I, I just can't see Brandy uh, driving around with a gas can. And from what I understand, her roommate also said that he does not recall Brandy having a gas can because a lot of times he was the one that gassed up a car for He'd take it down to the uh, gas station and, and uh, gas it up for her. So, um, 
It, okay. it just that that gas can does seem very suspicious to me. But they said that they could not get any prints off of it because of the the, the rough surface. Was there anything in the gas can? Not that I'm aware of. The police did not tell me that. Okay, and I'm also just wondering if if it was a new gas can, then if it nothing had been in it, it wouldn't have gas smell in it. If it had been used before recently, then there would be some gas smell in it. But I guess we don't know right. that. Okay. Right. Were the keys in the car? I'm not aware of that. I, I don't know. That's something that you would have to ask the police. Okay. But but there was a key problem when they tried to start the car. What right. what, what happened there? Um, they had to contact the um, dealership. And they came out and made a key, and they started it up, and it, it cranked for a couple of seconds, and then it died. They tried it again, same same thing, so they thought maybe it had run out of gas, so they put gas in the vehicle. They started it up again, it ran for a few seconds, and it quit. So they figured, okay, maybe she had car trouble. So they released the car to us, and I had it towed here to Tyler, to an auto mechanic, and... Um, they tried the car and later they called back and said that the key that we had was the wrong key. It needed a chip in it. It was an anti-theft uh, device and the, the key that the police had made was not, uh, it did not have the chip in it. So they had to uh, make another key. And at that point, the car started fine, and it ran fine. So the, the scenario is, if, if it was not out of gas, it was very low on gas. But the police it, never checked stop. the gas level in the car before they put gas in it to try to start it when it was sitting on the side of the road, did they? Well, I don't know if um, the needle in the car gave them an indication that she was mm -hmm. sitting on empty, and mm -hmm. that's why they just went ahead and put the gas in the car. I don't know if they would have thought, hey, let's check the level. And I don't know how you do that. Um, mm -hmm. The dealership told me the only way to figure out how much gas is in the tank is to actually pull the tank out, dump out the gas, and, and you know measure how much was in there. Yeah. So at, the, at that point, after them already adding gas, even if she had some, you know, uh, I don't know, you know, what that would have happened because she may have had enough gas to get halfway home, but maybe not all the way home. Yeah. You know, and, and so I, there's no telling exactly how much Brandy had before they placed their gas in. Okay. Because the reason I ask that, and if the listeners, uh, of course, need to know this, is I'm thinking that if they would have checked the how much gas, being that it seems, I th think to me, it feels to me like in this case, that her needing gas in the car is a an element of her disappearance. Being yeah. that we also found the exactly. gas tank, gas can that's probably not hers in the back seat. Her trying to get gas, whether money from people or actually going to a gas station or somebody helping out, that is an element of this disappearance. And so right. it'd be interesting, and that, and the, interesting to know how much gas was actually in the car. That's all. And, and, but the police did go around to uh, area gas stations, looked at footage, looked at videos, asked questions, passed Brandy's picture around to see if they had noticed her that night. And no gas station around mm -hmm. was able to identify Brandy being there that night. All right.
Yeah. Okay. Um, let's move on to the next part of this, the cell phones. We mentioned, you mentioned there was a cell phone in the car. This is another mistake on top of the misidentification of the girl on the video. This is another mistake that the police made, and then you had to set them straight. Tell, tell the listeners what happened there. Okay. Um, they retrieved the cell phone out of Brandy's car, and they started calling everybody in the, the address book to see if they'd heard from Brandy, if they might know where she might be, you know, doing their investigative work like they're supposed to. Um, half of the people in that cell phone, they said that it really struck them odd that half of the people knew who Brandy was but hadn't heard from her. But half of the people didn't know who Brandy was. Um, so they found it odd that she would have all these people's names in, in her, her cell phone book. Um, so I had gone to Longview to give DNA, to put in the DNA database uh, just in case. Uh, when I was there, they showed me the phone, and I told them that is not Brandy's phone. And they said, you got, you're kidding. We found this in her car. And I said, that is not Brandy's phone looked through it and saw that it actually belonged to a boyfriend that she was dating while she lived in San Antonio who had gone into the military and was stationed in Germany when she disappeared. So he had nothing to do with this. Let me make that clear right mm -hmm. off the bat. He was never a suspect, but she had his cell phone when he left for Germany they can't take their phones with them because it doesn't work anywhere. Or it's too expensive. My son's been deployed several times, and he's always left his cell phone behind. So I did not find it, you know, odd or strange that, you know, he would give Brandy his cell phone and then leave. Then they broke up. So Brandy's still in possession of a cell phone at this time. She was also living with his sister in San Antonio for a little while until she uh, was able to move out on her own. And his sister had a cell phone contract, and Brandy was on her contract. Um, after we found out that this was indeed the boyfriend's cell phone and not Brandy's cell phone, I contacted his sister and asked if she would contact her carrier and have the cell phone records released to the police. She did one better than that. She got online herself, pulled up her own phone records, and sent them to me. Mm -hmm. Once I saw the cell phone records that a week after Brandy disappeared, there was activity on the cell phone. And there was call after call after call after call after call, uh, one minute, two minute, three minute calls. But I mean, just right back to back, at least 24 to 36 hours of all these calls. And to me, it just seemed like maybe a, a drug uh connection, mm -hmm. somebody calling to see if somebody had drugs, you know, calling all these different people or this person that had drugs was calling all these different people to see if they needed drugs. You know, and that's just kind of the tone that it had to me. So I started calling these numbers. Um, some of them, you know, kind of pretty much hung up on me abruptly. Uh, some of them, I don't know who you are and I don't know what you're talking about. Don't call back, you know, uh, that type of thing. Um, and of course the police received this, the cell phone calls also. Um, I, uh, was informed that they found Brandy's cell phone. Um, and they found the person who had possession of Brandy's cell phone. Uh, this is a, a man who lived in Longview. Uh, his story was that he claims he was walking down this, uh, neighborhood street and here's this beeping 
uh, looks over, and lo and behold, there's a cell phone laying underneath this tree. Now, I don't know anybody in the world whose cell phone battery will last a week. Out in the elements, we are talking August 6th in East Texas with 100-plus degree uh, temperatures and very, very dry conditions. There's no way that that cell phone is going to sit there for a week. Mm-hmm. He apparently turned it over to a girl and her uncle. I don't know how that deal went down or why he gave it to them. But from what I understand, they are the ones that made all the calls. The police gave them a polygraph, all three of them. The uncle and the female passed their polygraph. But the gentleman who supposedly found the cell phone was very questionable on his polygraph. Now, since he gave it voluntarily, of course, polygraphs are not used in any kind of evidence whatsoever to begin with. But since he gave it the information voluntarily, the police were not allowed to give me any information on this individual, who he was, what his age, where he lived, where he worked, nothing. So I do not know who this gentleman is. But the police also told me that they are very familiar with this gentleman because he's in trouble quite a bit. So the next time he got in trouble with the law, they were going to use this Brandy get out of jail free card, so to speak, you know, uh, give us some information and we'll see what we can do to help you with this charge here. Uh, to my uh, knowledge, that has never happened. How how close to, as far as we know, as far as he's willing to say, the guy who seemingly couldn't pass the polygraph test, how close to Graham Central Station was the phone found? Now, I would have to look at a map again. It's been so long ago, uh, but it's really not very far. It, it's not a, a far drive from the club. All right. It's in that same basic vicinity. And did did any of these three people have any connections to the Graham Central Station anyway, to your knowledge? Did they work not there? Had they gone there before? No, 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 definitely not. They did not work there uh, as far as going there before. Um, from what I understand, the, the guy who found her cell phone yeah. Um, was an older black gentleman. Um, so I really can't see him hanging out at a young retro type, you know, a country on cowboy western type club. Um, and the uncle and the the, uh, the female, I have no idea on them. It, it's just, you know, pictures in your mind when you hear of somebody, you make a kind of a composite in your mind. And that, to me... Unfortunately, with all those calls, I get drug addict and, you know, crack, I'm, I'm sorry to say, but maybe crack whore or something like that, that would not have anything to do with Grand Central Station. Okay. I just want to put a couple things on the record uh, in, in this. How long after Brandy disappeared did the police finally figure out, you helped them, of course, figure out that the phone that they had was not Brandy's cell phone? How long did that, that was that mistake made? Do you, do you happen to remember? For example, you said that it took six it weeks before. Time, it was the same time that I, I saw the gas can and that I, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the same time that I saw the gas can and went to, to um, donate DNA. 
so oh. oh gosh was it a couple of weeks was it before or after you I, figured out no. they were looking looking at the wrong person on the video that's what i'm trying to remember if it was before <laughs> i believe it was before we found out it was the wrong person on the video but like maybe three four weeks later wow. so still later yeah considerable amount of time a good, good bit of time went by yes okay and <laughs> just so i want to go over one more thing um the last call that you believe Brandy made on her phone that you really can trace to her was to Graham Central Station. Did she call anybody else while she was driving from your place to Graham Central Station that night? Did she happen to use her phone at Graham Central Station that night while she was in the club? That I don't know if she used it at the club. The police never said anything about that. As far as using it to other people on her way to the club, I don't believe that she did. Um, the police did tell me that they looked at the computer at, at the uh, the house that she was staying out in Brownsboro to see if maybe she was on a dating line or mm-hmm. in some chat room and maybe talked to somebody about going to Grand Central Station. Uh, they looked at uh, this uh, the cell phone of the boyfriend, and uh, I don't believe it was even in service at the time. Um the, uh, you know, they, they said that they did not find any indication that led them to believe that Brandy was chatting with someone out there, um, you know, and that's mm-hmm. all that we know. Okay. I, so, you know, as far as calling on the phone to this club, I don't believe so because they would have said, but she did call so-and-so, do you know this person or whatever? And they never asked that. So I, I don't believe that she called anybody All right. while she was going to the club. All right. So as far as we know, the, the last phone call that she made on her phone that we know is Brandy is were those couple of calls she made to Graham Central Station on the way there because Correct. she was a little lost. Correct. Okay, great. Um, and one more th- and one more thing. The phone after that night had remained dormant for a while. No phone calls. And then after a little while, right. it started picking up after that guy a found. Week. OK. A week. Right. A week, right. a week went by after Brandy disappeared. And then that's when all the phone calls happened. Okay. okay. What kind of searches were done? Uh, you said that there were dogs at the car that didn't pick up her scent. But what did you do right. in organizing? What were some of the things that you did around that time? Sure. The police are the ones that brought out the dogs at the site where they found her car. As soon as they found her car and realized it was Brandy's, they did bring the, the dogs out, did not hit on anything. Uh, after that, uh, maybe a day or two after that, I asked the police, I said, okay, so where are y'all going to search? And the police's response to me at that time, which really infuriated me, was there is nowhere to search. And I thought, you have got to be kidding me. Longview is full of wooded areas. What do you mean there's nowhere to search? They didn't have any clues, so they didn't know where to look. I, uh, unfortunately, and this is so stupid, I don't understand it. The police are not allowed to tell parents of organizations that help find the missing. They are banned from being able to give any suggestions of where to start looking outside the law for help. My Mm -hmm. sister had a friend in San Antonio who was with the FBI. And my sister was telling her about Brandy's case. 
and her friends told her about this organization called the Laura Recovery Center. Godsend of an organization uh, contacted them. Um, usually they only handle children, missing children. Uh, but since Brandy, even though she was 23, she was still in college. She was going back to college. They still considered her as a child. Um, so they were very eager and willing to help. Uh, help start uh, getting uh, more flyers out. Um, when Brandy first disappeared, I had a, a friend of mine uh, named Sarah Ray uh, help make a flyer for her. So we gave all that information to him. Uh, uh, his name is Bob Walcott. And he got things rolling uh, as far as getting a search together. I believe the search happened right before my birthday in September. Um, we had a very good turnout. A lot of people from Tyler took the day off to drive out over to Longview, which is a 45-minute commute. So I really do appreciate anybody and everybody who showed up. A lot of my coworkers, families, friends uh, drove to Longview, and we had a good turnout from the Longview community. Um, we had the check-in. Of course, you know, everybody was uh, identified, uh, you know, uh, had to present their driver's license uh, and be, you know, taken down in records, uh, were split up into groups and took several different areas of Longview. Um, they did a fantastic job. Out, It was still sweltering heat. Um, you know, it was not a, a pleasant uh, atmosphere to be searching all day long, but everybody gave it their all, and I really do appreciate anybody and everybody who shows up, and I know every parent across the globe appreciates when volunteers, strangers, come up to try to help find their child, their baby, their missing human being. I just wish that more people would get involved, because the larger the search, the better chance you have of coming across something that could be very crucial and vital to help the investigation. Um, and how close were these searches to Graham Central Station? I mean, how far away, close? How did you decide where these the searches were going to take place? I, I think um, we pretty much took Longview and put it up on a wall and split it into four boxes. Um, the lower um, right-hand quadrant of Longview was basically where Graham Central Station was found, but it was, it, I mean, where it is on the map, but it's more up into the, you know, the four corners in the center of that, that bottom quadrant. Um, so we went from, you know, right around Graham Central Station, uh, further down, and then, of course, in, in kind of a radius uh, around that, that um the four corner point, I guess you'd call it, um, is, is where most of it was. And um, Bob assured me, he said that it does not matter if we did not find her in this one certain area, at least we can cross that off the list if she is not there. So that's the kind of approach that we took. Um, you know, like I said, we split up into groups, so there were several different areas being searched at one time. Um, you know, it's it's not like it was a football field and you can line up, you know, standing yeah. hand to hand with everybody like you see in some searches. These are wooded areas. 
that have housing areas, that have businesses, that have uh, major roadways. So, you know, it's split up into different areas. And, and we feel like we covered as many areas with the people that we had at the time at that one search. And so, you know, there's always the next search that we can get back out there and, and get it taken care of. Unfortunately, on her second search, which I believe was um, before her birthday, which is uh, November 28th, sometimes it follows on Thanksgiving, but I believe we had another one before then, and um, there was supposed to be a a lot of people show up. Um, We were supposed to have horses and and four-wheelers and all of this, and unfortunately, another child went missing, so we were not able to have that kind of... um, a massive search for the second time that we thought still a lot of friends from Tyler showed up, but family and friends from Tyler showed up, but not very much of the Longview community at this time. Um, okay. Don't know if they lost interest in it or it, it maybe if we didn't do a good enough job uh, getting the word out of the second search. I'm not really sure what happened, but participation did dwindle quite drastically. Um, of course, with what we had, we went to different spots, um, you know, and then back to spots that kind of looked real fishy the first time that everybody was there, um, you know, just to reinvestigate some things. Still found absolutely nothing. Um, at one point, uh, the first search, they did find some pants that looked kind of like sort of what Brandy may have been wearing. So that was a big deal. But then we found out, no, that those weren't not her pants. Um you know, another lady that was uh, living in a motel said that uh, she had smelt this god-awful smell around the time that Brandy went missing. And, uh, you know, it was a, a, a back behind her hotel that was uh, kind of a wooded area that they were starting to develop. Um, and we never found anything there. There was also another place um, in the woods that there's a bunch of, um, I don't know, hollowed out kind of ditches or trenches like with cardboard covered over the top where we hear that that's where a lot of homeless live. Um, So, you know, we found a lot of places that looked like it could have been great to conceal a body, but we never found anything definitive. Um, Most of the day of the first search, I stayed inside. Uh, a lady whose child went missing from somewhere the same area by the name of uh, Kimberly Norwood uh, disappeared when she was 13 years old from a, a town that's close to Longview. Uh, so she came for moral support, um, and you know, we talked about her investigation, the horrible things that were were done about her daughter, um, and. I remember at the time, I don't remember if Kimberly had been missing 10 or 20 years, but I do remember thinking to myself, God, please do not let me be in this mother's shoes that far down the line. Please help us find her. And unfortunately, um, God has other plans because I am still, you know, 10 years down the line, 11 years down the line looking for her. When was the last Uh, time, when was the last time you did a search? Has it been a while? Our last search, our third and final search, was that January. Mm. Um, And we had a different organization. We felt that we had used up enough of uh, Laura Recovery's resources in helping us that we contacted another uh, search group called Texas Equal Search. And um, 
a couple of their representatives came down, and we were supposed to have a search then, and they were supposed to be bringing a whole bunch of people. Um, but it was just two representatives from that site because, once again, another child had just gone missing. So, of course, they're going to put, and I want them to put all their researches and resources into looking for that child. So that search, it was five people. It was those two and my uh, husband and my daughter and myself at that time looking at places. We did discuss things about maybe a future search, but, you know, interest in her story, and since she was only 23 and there's really nothing to go on, I think interest really kind of dwindled, and Longview is also a very crime-riddled town. I don't care what the police say. It is a kind of unsavory town um, mm. that, you know, there's other problems always popping up. As a matter of fact, um, about a month and a half after Brandy disappeared, there was a female body that had been found set on fire in a neighboring town of Longview's um, on a dirt road. And for a while, of course, there was the, the unshakable fear that it was Brandy, that somebody could do this to another human being, set them on fire. That, uh, that, that is the worst. But and that's still unsolved, right? We talked about this before. That is still unsolved, and she is still unidentified. I cannot believe this. They did prove that it was not Brandy through dental records, plus the girl was too tall. The clothes that she had on were nowhere near anything like Brandy had. But, of course, this was months later, so if they're keeping her prostituted out like we think they are, or we were told that they were, um, you know, they could have changed her clothes, you know, given her other stuff to wear. So the clothes weren't that big of a deal to me. But but when they came out with her facial reconstruction and put it in the newspaper, that's when I almost fell out of my chair because, once again, it's a blonde-haired girl, you know, uh, round face like Brandy's, uh, you know, and, and it's really very similar to Brandy. Mm. Um, of course, that shook me. Um, and then a month after that, they find another girl dead underneath the bridge that, that spans I-20. Um, not too far from where Brandy's car was found. Uh, she was a prostitute. And, uh, you know, so those two deaths right around Brandy's disappearance, I would have thought would galvanize people. But I guess, you know, they just you just become so numb to it that, you know, hey, that's happening out there. I, you know, I don't have to get involved. I, so both, I of the, both of those women's, the crimes committed against them, both of those, to your knowledge, have never been solved either. But no, they have not been solved. No. Okay. Let's get back to the car for a second. We should have probably touched upon okay. this when we talked about the car. Where the car was found, would it have been in a, in a place sitting along the highway that Brandy could have been driving home, or would that have been out of the way? How do you define where oh, the car was found oh, yeah. in contrast to where Graham Central Station was and how she would have gone home? What do you think? Okay. You take Longview's map and slap it up against the wall. Uh, Tyler's on the left-hand side of the map, and Shreveport is on the right-hand side of the map. Brandy's car was found heading towards Tyler the correct distance, but she was more at the right-hand side of the map. It just mm -hmm. seems funny that instead of the le you know going out the way she should have, she goes out 
the the opposite end to come back down. That did not make sense. It, you know, she uh, mm. she was on the other end of Longview to come to Tyler, but her car was pointed in the correct direction mm. to come to Tyler on I twenty. So if she was driving that car and she was headed home and something happened, then she would have kind of been taking the long way home. I guess you'd say the long mm-hmm. way. Okay, great. Right. Great. She would have gone down the road just to come right back down another one. You know, covering that same distance. Okay. Right. Let's let's cover a couple additional points um, that you we had talked about on our prior conversation. You had talked to me about a woman who had talked to Brandy while she was there that night. They were in a bathroom. What could you tell uh, the listeners about that conversation? Um, I do not remember exactly how this information came about. Um, but there was a girl that was supposedly hanging around with Brandy up at the club that night. I do not know if she was a previous friend of Brandy's or if she is a girl that Brandy talked to and they just decided to pal around because both of them were by themselves. Brandy was the type of person that if you talked to her for a couple of minutes, you were her friend. You know, she had no problem hanging out with strangers. That's just, Brandy was just very, very outgoing like that. Um, from what I understand from this girl, there was a Hispanic guy that was following them around that night. Um, the girls went into the bathroom to get rid of him. Um, and then later when they came back out, I, I do not know anything about him after that. I don't know if he gave up and left or if he, you know, continued to look at her from afar. Uh, you know, I have no idea what happened. We tried to get the girl to come forward to talk to the police, but we were never successful on that. Um, after we had her first search, I think it was between the first and second search, we had a memorial for Brandy here in Tyler. And, um, as we were setting up for this, Laura Recovery Center was gracious enough to come back down, uh, to hold this vigil with us. And we also had the police speak about safety and women be aware of your surroundings and, and whatnot. Um, and the girl that was with Brandy that night was there at the park. We approached her thinking that she was coming to the memorial, but I guess she was with her child. At the time she was at the club, when she was with Brandy, she was pregnant, but by then she'd had the child. Um, she was pushing the baby out of the park, and when we approached her to come join the memorial and, and you know, talk to the police, she was like, no, I don't want to get involved. I can't, uh, you know, I, I feel really bad about what happened to her. I'm sorry. Um, and she went to her car, and so we went and got Bob Walcott, who'd come down for the memorial from the Laura Recovery Center, to go over and talk to her. I do not remember what their conversation was, if he had a very lengthy one with, their, with her or not, um, but she was still adamantly refused to take any information that she had to the police. I don't know if she felt that what she had was not important, or she didn't want to get involved, or, or what the deal is, but... We never could get her to come forward, and to this day, I really cannot remember her name. I would have to research that. Um, there's also been some speculation. Somebody said that it was one of my nephew's uh, girlfriends. My nephew's girlfriend said, no, you know, she was never my girlfriend. She's crazy, um, and I don't even know if he knows her last name. So I, I really don't that, – that part of the investigation really pretty much stalled out because of her. Do you believe this woman? Do you believe well, that story being being that you heard the story and then later she's kind of staying away like she was wanted to be involved, she wanted to be helpful, and then later <laughs> kind of the opposite? 
Well, I mean, I do believe that she was probably hanging around Brandy that evening. Uh, you know, as far mm-hmm. as the Hispanic guy, you know how girls like to be flattered. Oh, that guy's checking me out type thing. So I don't know. She misread the, the situation and now is maybe thinking that's what she did. And so, you know, why say anything? You know, I'm really not sure what her mind mentality is. I would love it if, you know, her being a mother now, she would finally realize what I'm going through or, or try and put herself into my situation and come forward and tell the police. And maybe she could look at that guy and see if maybe that was the guy that was following them around. Right. Right. Good point. Speaking of that guy, let's get to the guy in the white hat. And anybody who watches the video uh, is going to see Brandy leave Graham Central Station. Right behind her is a guy dressed in black wearing a white hat. She kind of goes off to the right. He goes off to the left. But then right at the end, you see him like turn his head to her. And then all of a sudden, Brandy, you can see just her, her feet. You can't see her face or her body turn and then go in his direction. Although I wouldn't say that necessarily the two end up beside each other in the video that we have right. seen. Has this guy in the black wearing the white hat ever been located? We know other people have been located because that's how we know that Brandy was asking for gas money at the club. Has this particular guy ever been located? Um, I don't even know if the police have even noticed him. So I, I, I'm going to say no. But, of course, the police are not going to fill me in on every mm-hmm. part of the investigation. There are some things that they are going to hold back for the integrity of their investigation. So this could be part of it. I have no idea. And we had talked about a couple things that I don't think we want to get into right in this interview because they're kind of private right for this second. Um, but do we has, – has that video ever been watched to the point where anybody's determined when that guy – got to the club or if any of those cameras that are inside the club have ever put Brandy and this guy together while she was there to your knowledge. No, none. Okay. Okay. All right. We're just going to leave it at that uh, for now because you and I, once again, had had some conversations before this interview about uh, a couple things we may want to do, but might as well keep that kind of secret for now. We don't want to give too much away. Um, I agree. Yes. And so let's move on to this. There was a strange story about uh, about Brandy's social security number. What happened there? It is just amazing that somebody who just disappears into nothing so much has gone on in this investigation. And a lot of it is just off the wall weird. Uh, we got um, notification from the police that a application for a job has been turned in with Brandy's social security number on it. It was um, from Raleigh, North Carolina. And they uh, contacted the police up there, uh, gave them Brandy's picture. They went to the address on the application. It was an apartment complex. The gentleman who came to the door was a black military, ex-military, just gotten home from a, a, a deployment. He had just moved into that apartment. He did not know Brandy. Um, they showed it around the apartment complex. Nobody recognized Brandy's face. As far as I know, they have never contacted or tracked down the person who put this application in to find out how they got Brandy's social security number. Now, most of the time, 
when an illegal gets a social security number, it's a dead person's social security number. And the reason why these people sell these social security numbers is because they know these people are dead. And that is one possibility that could be, I pray to God not, but that could be one possibility of how this person got Brandy's ID, or her, her uh, social security number, was buying it from someone who knew she was dead. And But that's that's all I know about that. I, I, you know, nothing ever came of that investigation. Did this military member who was in this apartment complex, had he recently applied for a job and mistakenly used the social security number? Or was he like, I have no idea about any of this. What What do you remember about that? And how long, how long after Brandy disappeared did this happen? It was probably, I want to say a year, year and a half, maybe. Okay. Um, but no, uh, he did not. Uh, know anything about it. As far as him putting in a recent job application, I'm sure he would have said, oh, well, yeah, that's me. But it was a guy. This name on the application was a female. So, you know, why is he going to put a wrong name on there, too? You know, that is that is very interesting. Hmm. A whole way over in North Carolina, not in Texas, but in North Carolina. This North is where Carolina. North Carolina, Long and North of course, Carolina. and of course, yeah. uh, Brandy yeah. disappeared in Texas. Okay, well, that's yeah. something that uh, is very interesting. But, you know, I, okay, let me interject here too. There's also a possibility now. Uh, this is coming from Bob Walcott, and I'm not directing him, you know, quoting him exactly directly, but this is the gist of it, and he knows because he has worked many, too many of these cases that since Brandy's car was found on the side of the road. She could have run out of gas there. Some trucker could have stopped to help her, you know, got in the seat. That's why the seat was moved back um, and abducted her. So he could have taken her across state lines. So Brandy could be anywhere, you know, just because she disappeared out of the state does not mean this is where she met her fate and this is where she stayed. There is also the possibility that she could have been trafficked across state lines, across the border, you know. We really don't. That's the frustrating thing about a, a stranger abduction. And this is exactly what it was. There was no mem- family members involved, no friends involved. Nobody knew Brandy was going to that club that night. Not even her mother. The only person that knew that Brandy was going to that club that night was Brandy and Georgia. And Georgia was in bed asleep the whole time. So mm-hmm. um, the not knowing what happened. What happened? Where is she? What did they do to her? Um, you know, I, it, it would have been nicer. I hate to say this, but it would have been nicer if it would have been somebody that we knew because then we'd have somewhere to look, but we've got nothing. Ellen, what did this do to you and your family? You know, when you finally figured out maybe that Brandy isn't maybe coming home, at least not in the week's after she disappeared i mean what, what if you can explain it to the listeners what what went on well the one thing that it did do uh, it, it did give me a lot more backbone than i thought i ever had uh it brought me much closer to god um but unfortunately my marriage was a casualty of this um people do grieve in different ways and you can make judgments if you're outside of the picture but when you're inside of the picture and you're not able to grieve um, 
one way because the other person is not grieving that way and you can't pull things out of them. And, you know, it just puts a rift between y'all. Um, and you get a little bit more sensitive about things. Um, you know, why don't you act this way? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Um, so, you know, it, it starts picking at you, pulling at you. Um, and it makes things that, you you know, you don't usually take um, the wrong way. And, and it turns it to where you do take it the wrong way. If they don't call you and you don't know where they are for a couple hours, you start wondering, oh, God, is this another person who's disappeared? You know, I mean, it, it's stupid, but that's the things that go through your mind. And you just kind of drift apart and... And my marriage, unfortunately, was a casualty. Not the total for a casualty, because, you know, if you had a strong enough marriage, I'm sure that uh, everything could be worked through. But, you know, we were a little bit unstable. Anyway, we're still good, very very good friends. He's still the, the father of my children. Um, and I respect him and, and, and thank him for the job that he has done, because Brady is not his biological daughter, but that is his daughter. She's mm-hmm. always called him dad. He's always called her daughter. He walked down the aisle when she got married. Um, so, you know, he is her father. Um, and and he is going through his own things. As a matter of fact, after he had his heat stroke, uh, when they found uh, her on the videotape, they also found out that he was diabetic. So now he is taking a lot of medication, prescription medication. And I did not know this at the time, but... Uh, up until just a couple of years ago, he used to carry his medication around in Brandy's old lunch pal box, uh, you know, the soft-sided um, little case. Mm-hmm. He carried his medication around in that uh, to remind him of his daughter. So things like that have been really, you know, when I see a cardinal, that's Brandy because she was fixing to go to Trinity Valley Community College. Um, and they are the Cardinals. That's their mascot. So she's my little Cardinal. And every Cardinal I see now is named Brandy. And then people started posting online, do you, you know, do you realize that when you see a Cardinal appear, that means angels are near? Um, so, you know, that holds a lot of sentiment for me there, too. Um, she has two nieces that were born at the time that she disappeared, but they were babies. So they didn't get to know their Aunt Brandy. She has now another niece and nephew that has been born since that she doesn't, they don't know about Brandy. They have no idea who Brandy was. Uh, Brandy's <clears throat> uh, grandparents on her biological father's side, both of them died, and she was very, very close to both of them. She didn't get to go to their funeral. She does not know that they are gone. My brother passed away about five years ago. She did not get to go to his funeral. She does not know that he is passed and gone. There's a lot of things that she could have done with her life that I wonder how many children that she would have taught could she have made an impression on and changed their life for the better, changed the world for the better because they're a better person in this world because she taught them something. I'm wondering... What kind of grandkids would I have had with her by now? Um, I have four grandchildren from my oldest son, but he's in the military, and he does not live in this state. So it is very hard to be able to be a grandmother to children long distance. You want to hug them. You want to hold them. You want to spoil them. You want to uh, be with them all the time, and that's one opportunity that I do not get. 
because Brandy's not here. Excuse me just a moment. I'm going to blow my nose. Ah, I'm sorry. It's perfectly fine, Ellen. Where can the listeners find you? I know they're going to want to talk to you. I know they want to support you. Uh, You know about our group, the Unfound Podcast Discussion Group. You're already a member there, and I know that you've interacted with some of the people there already. And, you know, where where can people find you online? And elsewhere, so they can they can help you out and communicate with you, and know that they're they're there for you. Um, well, the only thing I'm not very um, computer savvy. I do not own a laptop or a computer. All I have is my cell phone that I can get on and Google stuff. And um, you know, it's not been too long ago that I actually put up a Facebook page. Um, now, Brandy's ex husband does have a Facebook page put up for her by the name of Marley Cop. And I used to be a member, but I blocked that mm. um, because I felt that they were family bashing too much about Brady's yeah. disappearance and taking the spotlight away from actually helping her. So I have nothing to do with that. If y'all do Google Brandy Wells and Marley Cop comes up, I am not a part of that. And I'm not saying that you should not be either. That's your own opinion, what you want to do. But I felt that, um, you know, he comes in the picture nine and a half years later wanting to help. And all he's doing is trying to make it seem like maybe the family did it. The family doesn't care. Uh, you know, they're, they're hiding something, things of this nature. And that is, is so far from the truth that uh, it, it really infuriates me that he's taking away from what could actually help find Brandy and not throw these accusations around. They're so unfounded. There's, it's just laughable. Well, um, being that you bring it, being that you bring it up, if, if I may, being that I bring it up, I mean, we have to talk about this then because it's not been a topic yet. Is there any possibility her ex-husband had anything to do with her disappearance? Absolutely not. Okay. No. Okay. No, I, no. Okay. Just like the boyfriend over in Germany and just like the, the roommate in Brownsboro. Absolutely not. No, this I do honestly in my heart feel that it was a stranger abduction. Now, to what end? There are several. She could be held captive by a single individual who wanted a sex slave. She could be have been uh, sexually assaulted right off the bat and murdered and hidden so very well we just cannot find her. She could have been abducted for the sex slave trade. Uh, she could have. There are so many she could have. Um, but the family and anybody who actually knew Brandy can be ruled out because nobody knew Brandy was going to the club that night except for me and her sister, and even I did not know which club she was going to. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do for you, Alan. When we post this uh, episode, which will be tomorrow, we're conducting this the day before it's going to come out, I'm going to post the links um, that where Brandy's disappearance is mentioned, like Charlie Project, like Web Sleuths, and all those places. And if um, you happen to start your own Facebook page for her disappearance. If you get somebody to do that for you or whatever, I'll link to it then, of course, is that as well. And, I'll, you know, of course, it'll be posted on Reddit and all these places along with iTunes. So a lot of people are going to find out about uh, Brandy's disappearance. And hopefully we can start uh, some new investigations on our own. And like I oh, said, we God. like 
like I already mentioned, we, you and I talked about a couple things before we started this interview that we'll just keep under wraps for now. Okay. Ellen, uh, anything else you want to say before we uh, conclude this interview? Well, I just want uh, people out there in the communities to realize um, not getting involved is not the best way to handle things. Because what if one day it was you and somebody needed to get involved for you? We are not put on this earth to be an island unto ourselves. We are here for our fellow man. And any kind of help you can get, passing on the story, stopping and maybe giving a missing mother a hug and, and telling them that their child is not forgotten, that you're still thinking about them. Unfortunately, this situation has happened again and hit very close to home. A very good friend of mine up at work, her grandson disappeared a month ago. So she now, unfortunately, knows exactly what I'm going through. He was 16 years old, walked out the door, and that's the last they ever heard of him. If people are going to leave and disappear on their own willingly, please, at least call your local police department from the town that you left from and tell them, I am not missing. Do not, you do not have to search for me. You don't have to call your family if you don't want to talk to them. But please do not punish them and put the police out looking for someone who is not actually disappeared. Save that for people like Brandy, for people like her grandson that actually have disappeared with no trace, and we need to know what happened. Okay, Alan. Punishing your family... Uh, it, you know, that's fine. That's okay for you to do. But don't punish the police department and the whole community that really is looking to find you and you're okay. That's not what happened to Brandy. Unfortunately, that's not what happened to a lot of people. So we need the communities to get involved and spread the word. Keep your eyes open. If you know something, tell. This still pigeon mentality is crap. You know something, you tell something. Because if you know something and you don't tell something, that means you're condoning the actions. And to me, that is just as despicable as the act that the person did themselves. Alan, I totally agree. I totally agree. Um, I appreciate you being on Unfound for this episode. And I'm going to try to do, the listeners are going to try to do everything we can for you and try to bring Granny home. Well, I tell you what, you are such a godsend. After 11 years, you know, it's hard to get people interested in it in a case so old with nothing to go on. And that people are still willing to um, take the time to think of my little girls and others out there that they know nothing about and, and really show an interest and, and, and want to help. It, it really gives us hope that maybe one of these days disappearances will be a thing of the past. Ellen, thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. Deeply appreciate it. Thank you so much. I do appreciate your time, too. And that was my interview with Ellen Tant, mother of Brandy Wells. I need to thank a listener. Her name is Emily for making this interview possible. If you don't know, Brandy Wells' disappearance was the first case ever covered by the TV show Disappeared a program that we are all familiar with by this time, and it's in the middle of its, what, seventh or eighth season? 
It's been eight years since that episode aired. Hard to believe. And I can remember watching it way back then, and never did I think all these years later that I would be talking to Brandy's mother, and I appreciate her being on the program. This is a case where you look back at it and see the mistakes. The cell phone issue. How much time did the police waste going through the ex-boyfriend's cell phone thinking that that cell phone was Brandy's instead of trying to find Brandy's real cell phone? In addition, the misidentification of which girl was Brandy, that also set the police back at least some time. You wonder what would have happened if those mistakes hadn't been made. And in the case of the misidentified woman, it goes to show that cameras can collect all of the information they want, but it doesn't solve anything if humans can't identify the correct victim. A couple notes from the interview. First, the gas can. It's clear that it's not Brandy's. There's no information that her parents were missing one because that was the last place that she was before she left for that club. And I'm sure if her roommate would have been missing a gas can, we would have heard about it by now. So the gas can is somebody's, and I just can't see Brandy stopping at some place to buy a gas can on the way to a club that night. I just can't see that. So it has to be somebody else's. Not to mention that if you've seen some pictures of the gas can, it has dust on it. Whereas I think that if it was one that was bought new, it wouldn't be dusty. The gas can looked as if it had been sitting in somebody's garage for a long time. It hadn't been used for a long time as well. Because of that, I don't happen to believe that Brandy just happened to encounter somebody that night, let's say it's a man, who had bad intentions, who also just happened to have a gas can in his car or truck. I'm actually more inclined to believe that somebody offered to help Brandy out and actually went home to get a gas can and then came back. Once again, I know that this is a little bit contrary probably to a lot of thinking out there. Just looking at that gas can, it's only one gallon. And generally, people don't carry around gas cans in their cars and trucks in preparation for a time that they're going to run out of gas. Likewise, if they have a yard and they have to go to get gas for a lawnmower, the can usually sits in the garage, you put it in the car, you go to the gas station, you get the gas, you come home, you take the gas can back out of the car. I don't know too many of the people that ride around with gas cans in their vehicles. Just one of the reasonings that I've made regarding this case. Regarding Brandy's Grand Prix, it was a big mistake that the gas level in that car wasn't checked. It could have told police a lot could have told them, most importantly, if in fact Brandy did get gas. If so, the police could have tried to figure out what gas stations would have been open around 1 in the morning, and they could have gone to those locations and checked those security cameras to find out if she or somebody else appeared on them. Also, what they could have done was compared any of those security cam videos taken from any of those gas stations that were still open around 1 in the morning and compare them to the videotapes from Graham Central Station and see if anybody appeared at both locations. And if anybody did, 
those would surely be the people that police would want to talk to first. I'm not sure that the police did any of that. They may say that they did it. Somehow, I'm doubtful. And I'll continue to be doubtful despite what Ellen said during the interview. If you'll remember, she said that the police told her that they went to gas stations in that area and looked for brandy on them. But they couldn't even identify brandy on the Graham Central Station videos. How then were they ever going to be able to identify brandy at some other location where they weren't even sure if brandy arrived or not? There's just something about that that doesn't make sense to me. It also leads me to believe that they never did it. Second of all, and if you follow the timeline of this disappearance, you'll understand what I mean. The police couldn't have gone to those gas stations to look at those videotapes until weeks after Brandy disappeared, mainly because I'm not sure at that point they were still even convinced that she disappeared. By the time they would have gotten to those gas stations to ask about the security tapes, those tapes would have been taped over. If you don't know how that works, generally, that these gas stations have seven VCR tapes, and they put a new one in every day. So Monday's tape is used on Monday. Tuesday's tape is used on Tuesday. Once you get around to the next Monday, that Monday tape from the previous week is used again, and they get taped over and over and over, and that's the way it would have been done back in 2006. These days, if any of these businesses have updated their equipment, then yes, it would be digital. But back in the mid-2000s, they still would have been using VHS tapes. That's why I also find it hard to believe that the police put a very good search in any of this because I think the evidence would have been gone by then. The final point about Brandy's car is the lack of fingerprints as far as we as the public know. I get the idea that the car was wiped down, which is in quite a contrast to how it was left. It was left in seemingly a very hurried manner. It looks like somebody just jumped out of the car and ran but then when police started going over the car, they found no fingerprints. Those two things don't quite sync up, do they? And I think that tells me something. Somebody wanted to make it look like it was left in a hurried manner. But really, whoever made Brandy Wells disappear was very calculated, very intelligent, and probably doesn't do anything in his life that is hurried at all. And those were some of the points that stuck out to me during the interview. You should know that I have more, but I'm going to keep them between myself and Ellen right now because I'm going to be working with her on a particular job, uh, something that just kind of came up within the last couple days, actually be right before we conducted the interview, and then after the interview that I conducted with her, she got back to me about something. And we agreed that we should keep that off the record for now, just between the two of us. When she allows me to tell all of you about it, I will do that. But I think that if I were to go into any more of the points that I observed about this case, just some of the studying I did of it, then I think that we would be tipping our hand as to what she and I, and I'm going to guess the rest of her family, 
are going to be involved in. So I just want to leave it at that. But I will give you a hint because you know I believe in crowdsourcing to solve crimes. What you need to do is you need to find the disappeared episode that is about Brandy's disappearance, and you should watch it. You should watch it many times and pay particular attention to those sections that detail the videotape evidence. Not just of Brandy leaving, but Brandy arriving, Brandy inside, swiping her card. Also pay attention to the videotape with the other girl the police thought was Brandy. Pay attention to all of that. Don't just pay attention to them. Pay attention to the people around them. That's all I really feel comfortable saying at this point. Uh, There's just something about it that caught my eye that I felt that I needed to talk to Ellen about. And that's all I can say at this time. But I just wanted to put you on that path. I will make one more observation. Those two other women that were discovered dead near where Brandy's car was left, I have to tell you, I have no proof regarding this. I have a suspicion that Brandy's disappearance is connected to those two other women. I do not think that that's some sort of coincidence. I have no proof of that, like I said. But there's just something, a gut feeling that you get. All of you have looked at a lot of disappearance cases like I have. And you learn fairly quickly that there aren't many coincidences out there. If you find bodies near each other, somewhere out in a field, out in the woods, in a lake, they're usually connected. And so when you stack up a disappearance on top of that, it only makes sense that all of them are related. And I'm going to leave you with that. That's the end of the program. If you enjoyed this episode, I urge you to go to iTunes and subscribe and give Unfound a five-star review. Thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound. Unfound.